Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 41 of 211's Baseball Talk. My name is Dylan Baker. I'm alongside, as usual, my dad, Chris. This is what we have on the menu for you guys today. We will talk about Josh Donaldson's return to Toronto. We'll talk about Players Weekend. We'll have another Relevant Zero segment, something we did not have last week. We'll talk about the Bo Bichette Rookie of the Year debate, and if there really is one. And we'll talk about Anthony Kaye. But first, Chris, how are you today? I'm good, Dylan. How are you? I am phenomenal. So let's get right into things. And Tuesday night, one of the one of the days that Josh Allen's been waiting for for a while came as he returned to Rogers Center for the first time since he had been dealt to Cleveland for Julian Merriweather. Donaldson left Cleveland and signed in Atlanta this winter, where he had a bit of a sour departure. Or sorry, he had a bit of a sour departure from Toronto in August because him and the front office didn't get along, and his exit was far from triumphant. Donaldson wanted an extension, but there was really just no room for him. The front office realized that. Donaldson wanted to put the rest of his career in Toronto, it seemed, and uh, and then he got hurt in the 2018 season, and quite often he blamed that on the Blue Jays training staff and the front office's training program and regimen, stuff like that. Donaldson came back, went over four in his first game, but got a tribute video, a standing ovation after it, and a standing ovation before his first at-bat. So my question to you is, how iconic was Josh Donaldson's, Josh Donaldson's time as a Blue Jay? Well, it was short, just three and a half years, but it was a good, uh, it was iconic. It was iconic. I mean, you think about the memories that, that we have as uh, as Jays fans in the 12-15 uh, especially. 16 was good too, and then there was the rest. But uh, but they got older at that point in time, and it was time for the Jays to move on. It, it, you know, the, the reality is I don't know that signing, I get it, he's had a great season, but I don't, I don't know that signing him to a long-term deal would have been the solution. That's what he was looking for at the time. I don't think he can look for that anymore at his age, but... Um, it's going to be an interesting offseason for Donaldson because he's still not going to get a long-term deal, but he's certainly going to make a lot of money based on his results. Uh, I thought the tribute last night was very classy. I thought it was good. I thought um, it was a little short, but, uh, but I mean, certainly the standing ovation from the fans and, and especially at his first at bat was great too. And, and, you know, he brought a lot of memories, but this is the new Jays. And, and, you know, it's funny because I've seen a couple of people complain on Facebook. I reposted the, uh, the Josh Donaldson tribute last night. And again, the Shatkins thing came up. And the, and the problem that I have with the Shatkins thing is that it's over, man. Everybody needs to drop this thing now. This is ridiculous at this point. I don't always agree with what they've done. I don't think they make good trades. I don't think they get the value that they should be getting. But at the same time, they did bring in uh, Bichette. They did bring in Biggio. Um, you know, Guerrero's not theirs, but who cares? The top three of this lineup right now are way more exciting than what Josh Donaldson probably would have been able to provide on his own. And so, you know what? Move on, man. Move on. This is a good team. It's going to be a good team. It needs pitching, but the rebuild's over. And I think uh, I think this was a good move to, to move on from Donaldson. Yeah, and you can't fault the front office whatsoever. This is an older guy, and you've got so many good prospects coming up. You know that Guerrero's going to be good. You know that Bichette's going to be good. And at the time, Biggio was not as good as he, as he is now, but he has been really good in the big leagues. And they're providing a lot more excitement than Donaldson would have, as you mentioned. And, you know, another another old guy, older guy that the Jays front office let go of is Edwin Encarnacion. And I believe I heard somewhere uh, a couple days ago that they actually used the draft pick they got from the uh, qualifying offer for Encarnacion to draft Nate Pearson. So that was that was something that, something else they did. They brought in Nate Pearson, who is another great arm in AAA, and he's been uh, performing very well there. It shouldn't be much longer before he gets up to the big leagues. But I don't think that Donaldson would have been able to provide the same excitement that these kids would have, or that these kids do, and they bring in on a day-in, day-out basis. So I think it was the right move to uh, let them go. But my question to you now is, where does he rank all-time amongst Blue Jays players? 
Well, he's definitely ranked high up there. I mean, you know, it's funny. You go back to the days of Roberto Alomar, and he really wasn't with the Jays that long either. I think his uh, his tenure with the Jays was right around uh, what Donaldson is, probably closer to five years. But uh, but he, you know, again, he was iconic. He's up there. He's a he went into the Hall of Fame as a Blue Jay. I'm not saying Donaldson will do that. I'm not even saying Donaldson will make the Hall of Fame. But I think as far as iconic moments provided, he and Jose Bautista provided a ton. And, and uh, you know, he's definitely up there. I wouldn't put him at the top, uh, but I would put him top 15 for sure and potentially top 10. But again, I, I mean, you, they didn't win the World Series. They didn't get past the American League Championship Series. So, you know, I don't know how you would put him above anybody on the teams that did do that. Uh, but certainly, you know, he's up there. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? Tim and Sid did a poll yesterday in the middle of their show asking the same question. Where do you rank Josh Donaldson amongst Blue Jays? And the options were top three, top five, and top ten. And the majority of people voted top five, I believe, maybe top ten. I voted personally top ten. I feel like he could be a top ten Blue Jay. Maybe top 15, as you mentioned, but I don't think you can put him in that top five. Uh, with guys that have been so good as Blue Jays. Robbie Alomar has to be number one. That's the consensus, consensus sorry, uh, best Blue Jay of all time. And Doc Halliday has to be number two. So you can't really put him up with those names. Bautista's maybe top five, but uh, I'm not so sure about that even. But Donaldson did provide us with some iconic moments, such as the Donaldson dash in the... Uh, Fifth game or the third game of the ALDS in 2016. That was big. That won the series for the Blue Jays. That was an iconic moment. So they provided us with iconic moments, but you can't really put him up there amongst the uh, best Blue Jays of all time. Moving on, this past weekend was one of my favorite weekends of the year, and it was Players Weekend. You don't see anything quite like it in pro sports, but this year the story was more of what you didn't see. The jerseys, they were atrocious. You couldn't see names. You couldn't see logos. You couldn't see numbers. It was terrible. What was the MLB thinking? I don't know. They look like stormtroopers and and uh, not good looking stormtroopers either. Like the, the I I mean the black uniforms were fine, but the 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 teams that had to wear the white uniforms uh, they look terrible. And and this is something they really need to take a look at for next year because that was. Uh, that was atrocious. I like the idea of of the players' weekend. I like the idea of the players having the ability to use their nicknames and everything like that. But uh, but we need to get the design right, and the design was not right in 2019. No, that's for sure. And one thing that infuriated me the most was all the pitchers who were wearing the white jerseys had to wear black hats because the batter can't pick up the ball. And even with the black hats, the hitters were still complaining about not being able to pick up the ball coming from that white jersey, the white on white, white everywhere, white ball, and the white hats had to be turned black for the pitchers because then it would have just been even harder and we would not have seen a lot of home runs on players weekend because that ball would have been super hard to pick up. And so you have pitchers that aren't matching their position players with the hats. It just it just looked brutal. Yeah, you can't have them affect gameplay. I mean, that's that's the reality. You know, it's a fun weekend, but you can't have the uniforms causing people to not be able to see the baseball. It is a game of baseball. So you got to be able to see the baseball. And so, you know, that was a big mistake. It's a learning curve for MLB. They've only done this a couple of years and this is the first year, isn't it? That they changed the uniforms for it other than the names on the back um so you know uh big mistake huge mistake probably but uh but again a learning curve for them it's, at least they're doing it yeah and I, there's nothing quite like it in pro sports as i mentioned it's one of the better things about the mlb and certain certain players in other sports are asking or asking their leagues to do something like that where the players can express themselves i really enjoyed the jerseys 
They were awful. Moving on to the Blue Jays, they dropped two out of three in Seattle, but it was still a decent weekend for them. Clay Buckholz returned and had a strong start. Bo Bichette continued to destroy, and we'll dive into that a little bit deeper later, but it wasn't a bad weekend. Of course, uh, any weekend in Seattle for the Blue Jays would not be complete without the invasion of T-Mobile Park. It still feels weird to call that place T-Mobile Park since it was Safeco Field for such a long time, and as I was growing up, it was Safeco Field, but now it's T-Mobile, and the Jays fans showed up in full force again, and it was great to see. How important do you think it was for the young kids to know that they truly are playing for an entire country? I think it's super important. I think anybody that's ever played for the Blue Jays seems to be very excited about uh, Blue Jays Invade Weekend, and uh, and it and it's become a thing. You know, ever since the Montreal Expos folded, they were that that series you looked forward to back when interleague play started, and and it's gone. And and so for for the Seattle series to be kind of replacing that even though it wasn't a rivalry necessarily it's actually the Blue Jays just invading <laughs> T-Mobile Park um you know it was interesting and 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 it was kind of interesting to see some you know some weird celebrity takes on it including the Ken Jennings uh, stuff that the guy that won so much on Jeopardy. Oh, he's got to shut up like you can't <laughs> yeah he was you big cannot brutal. be calling Canadians the stuff that he was calling us and it was it was brutal. I mean, some of the chirps from fans were were pretty funny. The fan the chirps games. were great. Did you see the signs that they, <laughs> the, the signs, guy the made? signs oh, were God, phenomenal. They were awesome. So, uh, for yeah. example, the for the one in French that said uh, he was <laughs> writing that that um, that sign just to tell you that they sucked in French. Yeah, and uh, it was great. It was, the, the chirps were phenomenal, but you can't have people like absolutely hating on Canadians just to hate on Canadians because they invade Seattle. I didn't like that part of it, no. but you know what? It's become a pretty, pretty good rivalry between the fans and it's been fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that series. And I think as you, your original question asked, the, the young guys certainly got their first taste of that. And uh, unfortunately they had to wear those uniforms, but, um, <laughs> but they did get their first taste of, uh, of Blue Jays invade. And, you know, every player loves that. It doesn't matter whether they're young, old, uh, if you play for the Blue Jays, you seem to love the fact that the, the fan base follows you wherever you go, especially along the border. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you see so many Jays fans in Detroit. You see so many Jays fans in uh, in Seattle and even in Milwaukee when the Jays play there on occasion. Yeah, you see You see a ton of, yeah, in Minnesota as well, you see a ton of Blue Jays fans. So it's really good to see that they are really good to for them to see that they are actually playing for an entire country, that an entire country does support them and that they're rooting for them and they have to they have to live up to the expectations of the entire country, but they will be cheering for them when they are a good team and that's a lot of people. You've got to be pretty happy with that if you're a winner. Moving on to Relevance Zero, a segment we haven't done in a little bit, but we will get right back into it today. And this week ESPN was taking shots for their nude edition magazine, which means that athletes are going to be posing nude. One of the latest players to do so was Christian Yelich. However, a fan and a mother or a potential ex-fan named Roxanne, as I continue to rhyme, it's just rhyme time. Uh, anyway, Roxanne was all Roxanne. upset. Roxanne was all upset about the fact that he was doing this, and there are kids that look up to him, and he's not setting a good example. Yelich replied to the tweet saying, relax, Roxanne, and then proceeded to use Roxanne, the song I believe you were just singing, as his walk-up song for the game. However, <laughs> our friend Roxanne, the ex-Yelich fan, did bring up points that made me wonder, is it time that athletes stop posing nude for magazines? I don't know. Why would I even comment on this? This is like this is just silliness from Roxanne. Uh, it's silliness in general. I'm not. I'm not really sure why ESPN's doing it. To be honest, so I think that that is your your answer there. Because yes, I guess it's time they stopped because it wasn't smart in the, to begin with. I mean, I just don't understand 
why I would pick up an ESPN magazine with naked athletes in it. Uh, but, I mean, maybe that's just me. Maybe there's a bunch of people out there that are salivating over this magazine. I don't know. But uh, uh, for me, it's not useful in any way, and it doesn't promote any sport or any athlete in any way, really. So um, on that side of things, I guess I, I would say it's not right to have it out there. But, I, I mean, I'm not offended by it. It's just dumb. Yeah, I agree with you there, and I don't know what the point of it is. It's not showcasing any sport or any real athlete, like you said, besides their bodies. And when you look at that, are you going for trying to get people who are looking at the magazine to get that body, trying to motivate them? Is that potentially what they're doing? I doubt it, but maybe. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you bring up a good point there, too. I mean, maybe it's a body image thing, too, that's not good. Uh, you know, you got these young people that are like, how do I get that body or my body's not good enough. And, and that's not the message you want to be sending, especially as a role model athlete. So, uh, so you're right. That's another interesting point and piece to this, you know, with the focus of, of mental health and, and everything too. And I'm not sure it promotes positive mental image of, of, of young people. And, um, especially if they're comparing to an athlete that's probably been airbrushed a hundred thousand times as well. And then not only that, they are an athlete that's in a professional sport with access to training and equipment that the general public will never have access to without that kind of money. So, you know, it's kind of, uh, it is, it's, it's a, it's a interesting take because I just don't understand why they think this is a good idea. Yeah, it's pointless. There's ESPN doing it and I believe Sports Illustrated did it. Maybe they stopped. I don't know if they still do it. But I don't I don't understand what the goal is with these nude magazines. I'm not gonna be salivating over an ESPN magazine with nude athletes in there. So I, I just think it's pointless. And do, do I think it should stop? I'm indifferent to it and it seems that you have the same take. Moving on to the Bobachette Rookie of the Year debate, and this was something that was discussed on Sportsnet Central last night with, uh, I believe, Danielle Michaud and uh, Richard Justice. It's been a topic of discussion for a while. Why isn't Bobachette in everyone's Rookie of the Year predictions? Well, you believe that he should be, and I'll let you explain why. Well, I'll, I'll go back to Sportsnet Central's uh, interesting take on it last night, which was just showing those that, that actually did have uh, rookie of the Year winning seasons with very low games played. You're talking Willie McCovey, Ryan Howard, Will Myers, Bob Horner, and Carlos Correa all had uh, short periods of play and won the, the Rookie of the Year. Now, I mean, it's interesting because they brought up guys that were, were playing in 88, 89, and 99 games, and then they're now trying to compare Bichette at, uh, at a prediction of 55 games played. Uh, but there was one example, the Willie McCovey example, in 1959, <laughs> mind you, that uh, was at 52 games and won uh, with 192 at-bats. But Bo Bichette is, is sort of predicted to have 241 at-bats and 55 games played. I, I just think that there's a chance he could be considered. Uh, I'm not fully on the side that he should win it. Uh, it depends on what those 55 games look like in the end. But, um, but I think he's certainly putting himself in the conversation. And I think he will get votes. I think that Bobochette is going to get a few votes from, from voters for the Rookie of the Year, but I just can't see him winning it because he's only going to play 55 games if he continues on this pace. That shouldn't be that shouldn't be enough to qualify you for a Rookie of the Year, in my mind. And it's not 1959 or whatever you said it was uh, when Willie McCovey won it. It's, it's 2019. Players have to play a lot more games. And Jordan Alvarez of the Houston Astros had a phenomenal rookie season. And he's my pick for Rookie of the Year. But he's played so many more games than Bichette. He came up earlier than Bichette. 
And maybe Bobochet's first, whatever it is, 27 games now, I think, have been better than Jordan Alvarez's first 27 games. But at the same time, Alvarez has been consistently good over, he's got to be up near 100 games this season. And Bichette, if he's only going to finish at 55 with 260 at-bats, I just don't think that should qualify him to win an award. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think the person that's really putting himself back in the conversation is Guerrero. He's had one heck of a second half. And uh, uh, I think if you're talking more seriously about Rookie of the Year, he's the one we need to watch right up to the end of the season because if he keeps keeps climbing the way he has, he has to be in that conversation even more than Bichette. So I think Bichette, you know, puts himself in the conversation for sure. I don't think he wins it. Uh, I think Guerrero has the better chance of winning it if he can just continue at his torrid pace that he's on right now. If he can't, then as as you said, the guy with the Astros, I forget his name now, all of a sudden, You're Alvarez. Uh, Alvarez will will probably end up being the winner. So Yeah, and going to Vladdy, going back to Vladdy for a second here, Guerrero has credited, and Guillermo Martinez, they both said that his success lately and his success in the second half has been due to better preparation, more time before games. How big is that preparation and that day-in, day-out work ethic? Well, I think it's huge, especially for a guy like him. You know, he's uh, he's got a lot of expectations on him, and I think some of that extra preparation probably just takes the stress off from that, that those expectations. He his true belief that the preparation is what's causing his success is great because, you know, he he'll just continue to prepare that way. He also has a body type where his preparation is probably more important than others, um, and so I think that that's been important for him too, and it's kept him healthy on the field for the most part as well. Yeah, and you know what? His preparation has been good lately, and we've we got a chance to see it uh, in person uh, in June on June nineteenth when we uh, we got we were lucky enough to get on field for batting practice to watch the players warm up and prepare for the game. And Vladdy was was out there, but he wasn't he wasn't as working as hard as they say he is right now, going and watching as much video as they say he's doing right now. So it's good to see that he's preparing a little bit more before games and it's translated to success. And that's possibly one of the reasons why he's had so much success in this, uh, in this stretch. And hopefully he continues that to continue to have success down the road. Because I think if you can prepare for a pitcher, if you know what he's going to throw, if you know how to attack him, you're going to have a ton of success at the big league level. And if Guerrero's got a good work ethic, that translates well for not only his play, but also his relationships with the players and coaches. Moving on to a Blue Jays prospect, and Anthony Kay. He's been great ever since coming over to the Jays organization, being dominant in his time in Buffalo, pitching to a 1-8-90 RA as a Buffalo Bison. He's been, to simply put it, phenomenal in a Bison's uniform, throwing six and two-thirds more scoreless innings yesterday. That's two straight scoreless starts for him. Now, when he got traded, there were a ton of downers, like a whole lot of them. Fans were furious, and if I recall, you graded the Marcus Stroman, Marcus Stroman trade a C. And you can't say that you have the results from it yet because these guys that they got back are still in the minor leagues, but Kay's looking pretty good down in Buffalo. And you sat there saying this was an ideal return for Sanchez and Viagini. I disagreed with you a little bit. Um, and I still do, and that they deserve more. I think what well, I think that what they got is pretty good because he's not Anthony Kay's not just a character guy, and Simeon Richardson is not just a character guy, which you said they were. Um, they've both been really good pitchers. So what are your thoughts on Kay's performance? Well, first of all, Gazuntite. Uh, what? I heard you say Richardson, so uh, <laughs> I assume you sneezed. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, for, as far as K is concerned, and I believe it's Simeon Woods Simeon, Richardson. Sorry, yes, yeah, Simeon. <laughs> Not yeah. Simeon, but uh, 
<laughs> but anyway, so Anthony K, yeah, he's been great. He's been awesome. I would upgrade the trade to a C plus. I was a not C+. part of the a C plus. Uh, yes, I was not part of the Shatkins movement on that trade, at least. But uh, I definitely didn't love the return. Um, uh, but anyway, the, the the whole point of this is, uh, you know, he's done. He has been dominant at AAA. Um, could he be dominant? With the Baltimore Orioles, probably. With the uh, Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> yeah, because they're a, a double-A team, um, but uh, playing in the major leagues. But but I think that, um, you know, he has potential. He has potential, uh, given a C-plus instead of a C. Uh, but he's got to get here, and he's got to do the same thing in the big leagues. Uh, obviously, SRF hasn't done that. Some of the guys who used to be dominating in, in Buffalo are not in the big leagues, so we'll have to just wait and see. Yeah, but I don't know if anyone really had a 189 ERA in Buffalo and then came from the big leagues and didn't pitch well. And you look at SRF, as you mentioned, and Thomas Pannone, two guys that have struggled since coming up into the big leagues. Anthony, they don't have the same velocity as Kay does. And I saw a tweet last night during Kay's outing that said, Anthony Kay just struck a batter out 96 miles an hour on a fastball up. And that's pretty good. If you got that velocity as a lefty, you're really, really tough to hit. So it's uh, it's been good to see that Kay has that velocity. He can ramp it up at times. And he's been really good. I think you're being a little too harsh still on a C plus because I think, yes, the ultimate test will be the big leagues and how he pitches there, but I think he's done a really good job in AAA. And another thing he's done a really good job of is embracing Canada. What are your thoughts on how he's been doing that? Okay. You've been waiting for that one. <laughs> I've been waiting to use that one. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think he, I, I mean, the, everybody who has come in these trades seems to have jumped on that bandwagon. I think it was Kay who started it, but um, Simeon Woods Richardson did it. He jumped on board. Uh, you've seen uh, Alec Manoa, who's not a trade, but a draft pick, also jump on board. I think that's great. I think if these kids are embracing the fact that they're going to play in Canada, that's a really exciting thing for Blue Jays fans. Yeah, for sure. It most certainly is. And it's been very good to see that they enjoy the country of Canada so far and the Blue Jays fans and that they've been pitching well at their respective levels. Of course, Woods Richardson is in single-A Dunedin and Anthony Kay is in triple-A Buffalo. Two very different levels, but they've both been pitching well for those teams and they seem to really be enjoying the Blue Jays organization. All the pitching prospects in AAA have been doing well. Nate Pearson's been great, of course. TJ Zoik through the no-hitter. We might see Zoik in September if they feel like adding him to the 40-man roster. We could also see Anthony Kay, but we will have to wait and see if that will be the case. For now, it's just August 29th at the time of this podcast release and it's been a great episode. Thank you all very much for tuning in and we will leave you with Roxanne.